This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hey, this is Matt Pike from High on Fire, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 149 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 29th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not voicing opinions so controversial, they got this show kicked off of iTunes. I'm <laughs> writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not dispelling rumors of us getting kicked off iTunes while reestablishing our embattled RSS feed, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. If he ever gets it done. In this week's episode, you'll hear a review of Serenity, that's not true, I kind of am, of Serenity, Leaves on the Wind, number one, and Furious, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than our lunch can stick to our hips during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be hyperventilating into a heightened state of consciousness while we discuss what we're excited to read next week. And finally, it's time for another wild card show. Wild card, bitches! This week, we're playing the judge and calling one listener to the bench to defend their favorite comic crap when we host our Defenders segment. But before we make like a GOP and alienate women everywhere, let's take a moment to remember the friend of the working man and folk singer supreme, Pete Seeger, who died this week at the age of 94. I'll tell you what, if I had a hammer, Pete, I'd hammer out everybody that said you were an asshole. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. In a move that can only be described as puzzling, Warner Brothers has announced that the social network's Jesse Eisenberg has been cast as Lex Luthor in the Man of Steel sequel. Speaking of the choice, director Zack Snyder said, quote, Lex Luthor is often considered the most notorious of Superman's rivals, his unsavory reputation preceding him since 1940. What's great about Lex is that he exists beyond the confines of the stereotypical nefarious villain. He's a complicated and sophisticated character whose intellect, wealth, and prominence position him as one of the few mortals able to challenge the incredible might of Superman. Having Jesse in the role allows us to explore that interesting dynamic and also take the character in some new and unexpected directions, I'll say. Also announced, <laughs> Jeremy Irons will play the role of Alfred Pennyworth. I have no problem with that. But Matt Bum, what the hell? I love Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I have no issue with that whatsoever. If we could take Jesse Eisenberg's acting chops and put them into the body of a beefier man, <laughs> perhaps, we'd have the perfect Lex Luthor. Like, he's witty, <laughs> he's fast, he's smart. He could definitely deliver Lex Luthor-esque dialogue but yeah pretty far from what i would picture as lex luther like when we had that discussion of who should play lex luther no one <laughs> threw jesse eisenberg's name into the hat you know what i mean and i'm not yeah, saying exactly. we're casting agents or anything but this is weird i i'm all for like unusual casting like everyone said heath ledger would be terrible and of course he was amazing 
this is just bizarre. Like Lex Luthor is imposing and menacing, not necessarily physically, but in a, in, a, in terms of his presence. I would argue physically too, though. He's a big guy. Well, sometimes it kind of depends, right? He can be physically imposing. Yeah, like I've never. But he's Jesse never been Eisenberg as- has never. Jesse Eisenberg has never seemed imposing or intimidating. He has seemed vulnerable, you know, <laughs> aloof and sad. Yeah, vulnerable, a little crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and like I- maybe he will be great. He's just not who, certainly who I pictured. There's a lot of weird stuff going on with this movie, though. And it seems like Warner Brothers is throwing a bunch of stuff at the internet to see what happens. They've already, I mean, we don't like the casting of Wonder Woman. We're scratching our heads at the casting of Lex Luthor. They pushed the movie back an entire year. I don't know if they have any idea what they're doing. This is either going to be the biggest train wreck in comic movie history or the best comic book movie ever made. Yeah, and those are high stakes. Really? Yeah, it's high stakes. High stakes. In other movie news, Marvel Studios has announced that frequent partners Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost will write Thor 3. Yost is no stranger to comic fans, having written several Marvel titles over the years. Together, the writing duo created the character X-23 and the Black Ops version of X-Force. Joe Patrick, Kyle and Yost, what do you think? You know what? I'm in. I'm totally I love... Created X-23, who is a character that on the surface seems bizarre and uncomfortable. (laughs) Sexy Wolverine. But they also created X-Force. They had a hand in a lot of Marvel's great animation properties. Yeah, and they've been working on some fantastic Marvel stuff for a long time. I think these guys are young, and I think they're hot, and I think they love Thor, and they love the Marvel properties, even though you... And I both kind of said, like, do we need another Thor movie? This has me interested. I want to see what these guys can do. Definitely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's also no guarantee that whatever they turn in will be the version we get. Like, movies get rewritten all the time. Right. You know, this is a positive step. And if we are going to get a Thor 3, whether we need it or not, I think these guys have a really a firm handle on the Marvel universe and they know characters and they know the tone. And I think that they are definitely a good fit to write a big screen Marvel movie. Yeah, most definitely. I love it. Finally, Hollywood has been in a sharing mood lately with character designs for both X-Men days of future past and Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles reboot hitting the net. For the most part, the X-Men designs are pretty much what we've come to expect from Fox's version of the franchise. Lots of textured black leather and trench coats. The design for Quicksilver, however, is something from a Warholian fever dream. Meanwhile, the best way to describe Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles designs would be CGI nightmare hobos. Matt, you've seen the designs. What do you think? Let's start with the Ninja Turtles. I remember when the first live-action Ninja Turtles hit the screen, and I thought to myself, eh, they put some guys in suits, but those look pretty good. This time, still kind of looks like they put some guys in suits, <laughs> but... Uh, well, I mean, I think they're all motion-capped. Uh, it seems, maybe, and maybe the motion capture got has become so good that... It looks like guys in suits again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's come full circle. 
Well, I mean, to be, to be, to be fair, the images that we've seen are promo artwork for products. Right. So they're not actual screenshots of the film or anything. Right. And maybe it's going to look great right now. It looks a little weird. Well, This isn't like, I'm not talking about the animation or, or the rendering of them. I'm talking about the fact that they're wearing village people costumes, essentially. Kind of. Like they're all dressed like Steven Van Zant from the E Street Band. <laughs> and they've got human lips and noses. Yeah. It's, it's, it's creepy. Yeah. I don't love it, certainly. Um, I just don't know what to say about it. Like, I don't know if they're trying to make them look more human or something. They look creepy. They don't, like, I don't right. need my Ninja Turtles to look like a bunch of fun dudes. I need them to look like, you know, anthropomorphic turtles. And they don't look like turtles right now. <laughs> right. I mean, the the true test will be when we see them in action. Right. Like, moving and talking. Right. But right now, like, I can't get past, like, the luscious lips on Michelangelo. It's really <laughs> freaking me out. It's super creepy. As far Let's talk about X-Men. Okay, let's get into the X-Men. I like what I'm seeing. Honestly, I, I'll give you that the design of Quicksilver is a little weird, but I don't think it's terrible. I mean, he's got goggles on. He's got gray hair. He's wearing a leather jacket. You know, like he's, he's wearing like a shiny leather jacket and leather shoes. I Like, how does he run at super speed in leather shoes? Well, obviously, they're special leather shoes, I suppose. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. I do like that there's a blue beast here. That's cool. Yeah, I like most of the rest of them are fine. Yeah. I don't have any – like they look just like every other X-Men movie. I think Wolverine's – a future Wolverine's costume is pretty cool. Yeah, Colossus looks I really think, cool. Although I never I understood think, why Colossus has to wear shoulder pads because, you know, he's made of steel. Uh, well, you know. I think Blink looks perfect. Yes, totally agree. She's dead on. Yeah. But that, that Quicksilver man, I don't know. They released another like a, a screen capture – Last night, and it was like young Quicksilver posing with toddler Scarlet Witch. And he's got this mop of not white, but literally silver hair. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And he appears to have a utility belt on. It's just, I I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's like he's heading to the club. Or like he's the hacker that's heading to the club to like change the music <laughs> and make everybody go, whoa. <laughs> you know? right. But it's also like this is supposed to be 1970 something. <sighs> I guess. I don't really know. Well, maybe not though. I, you know what? I'm not sure if uh, Quicksilver is going to be from the future storyline or the past storyline. My guess is that he's from the 70s era. I just, I think he looks weird. I'm not into it, but we both liked X-Men first class. Yeah. Brian Singer's taken the X-Men over again. You know, hopefully we're putting Brett Ratner far behind us. Yeah. We've got a new toad. He looks pretty cool. He's got a mohawk. I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Toad looks cool. Yeah. He's fine. He's got weird goggles on. I don't know why, but whatever, you know. Right. I'm not Jennifer worried. Jennifer Lawrence is. Super foxy. I'm not worried but, about this movie. I'm really not. I think, uh, actually, even though we've all agreed that we wish the X-Men was firmly back in Marvel territory, we can't deny that First Class was a good movie. They did a good job on it, and I think this is going to be fun, too. Yes, I agree. I just, I need to see some of those suits moving around, you know? It, it, surely there must be a reason why Quicksilver looks like that, and snap judgments 
even though the internet is famous for them, are almost never accurate. Right. So, right. That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at THN Forums, where you can see our newly redesigned costumes featuring huge futuristic cod pieces and nippleless armor. Get a little of those things breathe a little bit, you know, especially. In- oh, you mean like there's holes over the nipples? Yeah, there's not over, but holes so our nipples can stick out. Right, exactly. Yeah. Every Friday, the redesigned Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question, what is your pick for worst character redesign in history? There's a lot of them. Characters that have transitioned to movies, television, and video games count. So it doesn't just have to be comics, but let's have a good mix. Like it could be Daredevil from the uh, Incredible Hulk movie in the 80s, where he was just like a dude in a ninja costume. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Daredevil. Right, right. Right, exactly. You can call us and leave us a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is nerd, all one word. Or at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. But... Make sure you keep it under three minutes or you will get cut off. That's not us, baby. That's Google. That's just how it goes. You can also send us an MP3 and join the MP3 crew. You can send those to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But again, keep it concise. Three minutes is a good time. If you need more time than that, head to the forums and write to your heart's content. Interview time on THN, where Joe and I alienate all our listeners with our ill-informed and just plain old incorrect opinions so egregious that they get us kicked off of iTunes. Joe Patrick, what'd you read this week? This week, I reviewed Serenity, Leaves on the Wind, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Zach Whedon, with art by George's Janty. I think it's gorgeous. Carl Story. Pretty sure it's gorgeous. <laughs> With art by Gorgeous Janty, Carl Story, and Laura Martin. I think we have to forever refer to him as gorgeous now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. Here's your solicit. Malcolm Reynolds' crew shook the verse to its core when they laid bare the crimes against humanity undertaken by their sinister government, the Alliance. Always outlaws Mal, a very pregnant Zoe, new pilot River Tam, and the other surviving crew members are in greater danger than ever. Meanwhile... Everyone is asking the same question. I still don't know what the question is. I don't either. I read it, and I can't figure out what that question is supposed to be. Is the question, where is Serenity? I guess, that, but that's too simple. I don't know. Well, I mean, everybody's looking for Mal, I guess. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Licensed comics have always been a tricky business. Stray too far from the source material and fans cry foul. Cling too tightly, and you're pandering. So it's hard to strike a delicate balance between adding to the mythology and honoring what came before. Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number one, is a perfect example of that balance. Following the events of the film, the Alliance's greatest secret has been revealed, and Malcolm Reynolds and his crew are the verses most wanted. Whedon sets up a very believable scenario that seamlessly meshes with the movie plot. It's nice to know that Fox News still exists in the far future. (laughs) It should be noted that while the recap page and bits of dialogue do a fair job filling you in on the story so far, the issue assumes, I think it assumes that the reader has more than a passing familiarity with the source material. Oh, big time. And I mean, 
you can choose to see that as a negative, but if you're picking up a comic based on a TV show that was made into a movie that follows the events of the movie, do your homework. Yeah, a movie that came out, what, eight years ago? Yeah, it's been a while, yeah. yeah. Whedon shares his brother's talent for dialogue, bringing life to each of the characters. Each member of the cast is perfectly characterized. Now, I'm not one to get too emotional about comics. I've been reading them a long time. I enjoy them, but I don't often get worked up. But one scene in this book moved me so much that I actually teared up a little. Plus, Whedon brings back my all-time favorite villain from the show, and I can't wait to find out what they've been up to. Yeah, I know. I love that guy. (laughs) Gene T's art is stunning. He's got a great eye for design, and he doesn't shy away from detail. The scenes set inside Serenity really brought me back into that world. The inks by Carl Story and the colors by Laura Martin, both industry vets, perfectly complement Gorgeous's pencils. Now, as with most licensed comics, the one big flaw is the character likenesses. And for the most part, Gene T does an excellent job. He creates a representation of the characters without being slavishly devoted to them. But at times, he's either trying too hard to capture a likeness or he fails completely. Yeah. And both are distracting. It definitely got a little weird on a couple parts. Fortunately, it only happens a couple of times in an otherwise beautifully drawn book. When he's not trying so hard to make this look like Nathan Fillion, he's fine. You know, I know that that's supposed to be Mal. But when he – so sometimes he does a great job with the likenesses and sometimes he misses the mark and it's a little distracting. We all know the saga of Joss Whedon's Firefly, taken too soon by a network that just didn't get it kept alive by the passion of the fans and resurrected into a film that maybe broke even before settling into a well-regarded but sporadic run of comics. The story of Malcolm Reynolds and the crew of Serenity deserved to continue, and I'm very pleased with the beginning of this new chapter in the lives of Mal and his crew. I'm giving this a huge buy-it. It's a buy-it for me as well, and I agree with everything you said, but I will say this is pretty inaccessible if you don't know what it is. You can't go into this going, I want to check out Firefly. You're not going to know what's going on. So, I mean, this one's for the fans, but that's okay because Serenity, Firefly, like this has built up a cult fan base that will support it and absolutely loves it. And this is written for them and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a jumping on point. Right. Not every comic book has to be, you know? Right. And like I get the philosophy that every comic is somebody's first. If you picked up Preacher Volume 7. Right. You wouldn't know what the hell was going on. Come on, man. I mean, if you're interested in reading Preacher, if you're interested in following the story of Serenity, then fill yourself in on the story of Serenity. Right. And this is an ongoing this is an ongoing saga. And like you said, not every comic book has to recap the story from scratch. Well, some of them are written for the fans, and that's fine. I'm a fan. I loved it. Absolutely. Matt, what did you review this week? This week I read Furious, number one from Dark Horse, written by Brian J. Glass with art by Victor Santos. Furious is the story of a female superhero, the Beacon, who finds herself on the wrong side of the media's PR machine after brutally beating a bad guy on camera. Glass and Santos are probably best known for the work on Images Mice Templar, and Furious is a massive departure for both of them. This is also not only the first superhero work they've worked on, the first superhero they've created. 
Here, they have created a very interesting and flawed female character trying to do the right thing as a hero, but while trying to make up for her own troubled past. Unlike most boy and Girl Scout heroes in comics these days, the Beacon has the right idea, but she's so full of her own rage, just anger at her own past, that she can't control her temper. And she's not necessarily doing the hero job the right way, which is really interesting because it seems it's very easy for a lot of creators to invent a new hero and have them have trouble for two pages, but then they're the best hero they could be, man. You know, they just automatically know how to do this stuff. There's a lot to like here, and there's a lot of promise in this title. I especially like the scene where the Beacon is trying to stop a moving car. There's a woman that's fleeing with her child in the car. The cops are chasing her. The woman's obviously insane. She's yelling at the kid. She's smacking him. She even points a gun at the kid at one point, saying, if I can't have my baby, nobody can. While the Beacon is flying above the car, trying to figure out the safest way to make it stop, which is really interesting and a problem you would actually have, whereas in a lot of comic books, you just see the hero pick up the car and stop it or whatever. She's thinking about it. She's not real good at this yet, and I think that's really interesting. Santos is wonderful here. His art reminds me of what I love about Michael Avon Oming and people like J-Bone, but his paneling is way more interesting. You mean Jabone? Jabone, pardon me. And his pan- his paneling, though, is way more interesting than what Oming does. Oming's very classic in his paneling, which I'm fine with. Here, Santos has created a very fast-moving story. And like that scene where I was talking about with the car, where pardon me, where the beacon is chasing the car. He does a great job blurring the police lights behind them, showing the speed lines running by her. The panels are all sort of an angle, very fast, very kinetic, and very well done. I admit I haven't read a lot of Mice Templar. I've always thought, well, his art's pretty good, and I kind of just considered him an Oming ripoff. And maybe that's just because Oming did the first volume of Mice Templar, and he's done two and three, so he was trying to make readers feel a little more comfortable. I definitely don't feel like he's that ripoff anymore. He's developing his own style, and it looks really nice. Furious isn't necessarily the story of an anti-hero, but it's more just the story of a flawed hero who's running from her own past instead of dealing with it. And this looks to be a really interesting character study and a really cool look into the superhero psyche. There's a great twist in the end that I kind of saw coming, but I didn't mind it at all. I think this is going to be a really fun book, and I'm giving it a buy it. You know, I I thought it was interesting, and I loved the art. It's very Michael Oming. But I did not dig it as much as you did. I thought it was very heavy-handed. Without spoiling anything, you know, the reveal of the character and what that means for who she is and her motivations, it just did not work for me. Like, I get the whole, you know, fighting through problems, and I like the idea of a superhero that's kind of bad at it, doesn't know how to keep a handle on her anger. I'm kind of into that, but... The rest of it just didn't click with me. I don't know. I'm just not that interested in this character and her journey. Hmm. So I can only give it a skim it because I did enjoy the art and I liked parts of it, it, but it just did not connect with me. All right, that's fair. I just feel like I think there's a lot of promise with these two, and I think this is a series that is going to get better as it goes. To compare it to Buzzkill, which I know is a completely different type of 
story, but the the notion that it's kind of the reverse, like a superhero runs back into normal life, right, to avoid you know this this problem, and is kind of forced back into it. That, for whatever reason, resonated much more with me than this did. And so maybe it's in the execution and not the premise. Could be. But yeah, it's a skim it for me. So that is a double buy it for Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number one, and a buy it and a skim it for Furious, number one. Of course, we want to know what you Space Cowboys and Rageaholics thought of these comics. So beat the hell out of us with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. After an excellent lunch at the Rock of Eternity, our buddy Billy Batson invited us to jog off our Cobb salads with a little borrowed speed of mercury. So join Matt and I along with Billy, Mary, and little Freddy as we run off all the Thunderbird dressing at magic speeds and review 10 of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Yeah, see, we're getting in shape. It's good. Ludicrous speed, go! Batman and Robin annual number two from DC. Pete Tomasi and Doug Mankey bring us the new 52 version of Dick Grayson's first night as Robin. This is the kind of story that Tomasi excels at, and the result is a fun tale that has an iconic feel to it. This could easily have been a pre-reboot story. I love the new villain, Tusk, and despite the over-designing that's typical of the new 52, and the inconsistency courtesy of the army of Inkers, the art still turned out pretty good. I'm giving this one a buy it. World's Finest Annual, number one from DC. Because no one demanded it, Kaizen Gamora makes his new DCU debut. (laughs) Sort of. His son Ken does, though, and even steals a smooch from Supergirl, who's actually Power Girl. I think this story takes place five years ago in Earth 2, where Power Girl was Supergirl and Huntress was Robin. The whole story is just really clunky and full of cat and mouse metaphors because Earth 2 Huntress slash Robin is Selena Kyle's daughter and I don't care. If the idea of the new 52 was to simplify things for readers, this series isn't doing anyone any favors. This was a mess with really nice art by Diogenes Nevs. Leave it. Invincible. Yeah, I mean, that that was the whole deal. On Earth 2, Power Girl was Supergirl. I get and that. And this takes place five years wrong. in the past, but they never say anywhere five years in the past. It's just, boom, Supergirl's dressed like this, and the Huntress is dressed like this. Go. <laughs> you know? Gotcha. Yeah, it was a mess. Invincible number 108 from Image. Just like every other title I love, I fell about eight months behind on Invincible. It looks like I got caught up just in time for the shit to really hit the fan. A subplot that had been building comes to a head in a way I wasn't expecting. Kudos to Robert Kirkman for keeping me guessing. Amazing art by Ryan Otley as always. This book has always been about insane, balls to the wall, superhero action, and it's just as much fun now as it was more than 100 issues ago. Buy it. Dread, Underbelly, movie sequel from Rebellion. That's a terrible title. That's the title. I'm not making that up. I really enjoyed the Dread movie starring Keith Urban, which I think is funny to mix him up with Carl Urban. And this comic sequel was a lot of fun, too. Writer Arthur Wyatt and artist Henry Flint show us Judge Dredd and Psy Judge Anderson investigating a corpse dump full of mutants that leads to a new drug sweeping the districts of Mega City One. More importantly, there's an ad for a petition for a second Dread movie 
get online, fill it out. I want another Dread movie because the first one was fun as hell. You should too. This was great. Buy it. Five Weapons, number six from Image. I had a lot of fun with this almost all-ages title about a young man tricking his way into a school for assassins, and I'm happy to see that it got upgraded to an ongoing. I find it difficult to believe that the same fevered mind that brought us Bomb Queen is responsible for this title. The series is a lot of fun. The art is really lovely. This may not be the best jumping on point, but check it out regardless. I'm giving it a buy it. Copernicus Jones, Robot Detective, number one from Monkey Brain. This is 17 pages for a buck 99 on Comixology. Think of it as hard-hitting EC detective noir featuring a robot. It was fun. It was a little on the nose, but it was a good time, and it featured really solid black and white art. It's clever, but I'm not going to say it's great. For 99 cents, I'd tell you to buy it, but for two bucks, it's a skim it. Skim it! Guardians of the Galaxy, number 11 from Marvel. I'm what Keith Silva lovingly calls a continuity wonk and proud of it. I love comic book shared universes and the way stories build on one another, creating a rich history. In my old age, though, I've come to realize that slavish devotion to continuity can do more harm to a story than good. But when your heavily promoted crossover ties into one of the most famous superhero stories ever written and you just make up some nonsense, Instead of conducting a 30-second Wikipedia search, the old Joe Patrick takes over. Now let's address the fact that this is actually the second Trial of Jean Grey Part 1 in as many weeks. True. So we have a six-part storyline where the first two parts leave us in the exact same place, where the writer is building on the details of an iconic story he can't even bother to Google. I'm so conflicted. It's not that this isn't beautifully drawn and fun to read, but I can't get over the needless decompression and complete lack of research. A leave it is too harsh and a buy it is too generous. So I guess it's a skim it. Sledgehammer 44, the lightning war, number three from Dark Horse. The conclusion of the latest Sledgehammer 44 sees the armored ghost powered giant finally mastering his powers while doing battle with the Black Flame, who is a skull headed Nazi that burns with a black flame. Really creepy looking. In the sky. Half of the illustration here is almost completely washed out by lightning or blasts from Sledgehammer's hands, and it looks amazing. Artist Lawrence Campbell and colorist Dave Stewart are nearly perfect together here. More. Super high-quality horror from the Mignolaverse. Buy this. Inhumanity, number two, from Marvel. I really loved Inhumanity, number one, but this issue just felt really unnecessary. I still love the premise, and I'm looking forward to the Inhuman ongoing, but I can't help but feel like the delays and the creative changes have really taken the steam out of this event. Plus, the delays effects really take their toll on the art in this issue, which features two mis mismatched pencilers, and a million incompatible inkers. I'm not writing off Inhumanity completely, but for this issue, I'm saying leave it. Star Trek, number 29 from IDW. Really solid storytelling from Mike Johnson, starring opposite sex versions of all your favorite Trek characters, but not great yeah. art here. It took me out of the story and it made this comic feel a little kiddy to me. Even the story was a slightly predictable, kind of a letdown after a really strong end to the previous Klingon Romulan War storyline. I can only give us a skim it. Still had fun with it though. Kagram! That 
is the longest ludicrous speed round in THN history. And karam is the sound of a Mack truck running headlong into the beacon as seen in this week's issue of Furious Number 1. This week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are working on our yoga breathing techniques with our yogi, Dalsim. Yoga lame. And our shaman, Shaman from Alpha Flight. Today, we'll be hyperventilating using an ancient breath of fire technique that will raise our consciousness to a higher level of existence that sees next week's comics as easily as this week's. Joe, open your chakras and tell us what you're excited for next week. My chakras are always wide open. Gross. <laughs> Look at them. <laughs> My liberal guilt demanded that I pick Miss Marvel number one. But I'm sorry, it's gotta be Punisher number one from Marvel Comics by Nathan Edmondson and Mitch Gerrids. Here's your solicit. For years, the Punisher has waged a war on crime in New York City with an array of very large guns. But a lead on a major source of drugs, weapons, and more has set his many sights due west. Now, Frank Castle's in the City of Angels looking to give the devil his due. Things aren't all they appear, though, with a highly trained military hit squad hot on Frank's tail. Caught between a posse of Punisher predators and targets of his own one-man war, Frank's manifest destiny may be a shallow grave. That solicit is awesome. Yeah, Jesus. That is excellently written. Whoever's responsible for that, gold star. I love Nathan Edmondson and Mitch Garrett's. They uh, do the activity for Image. It's an amazing spy thriller. These dudes were born to write The Punisher. Yeah, and I really hope they can sell it because it's going to be great. So you jerks go out there and buy it and support this book. Man, it, I'm worried, though, because if Greg Rucka couldn't sell it. I know. Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, number one from Dynamite. This is written by Greg Pak with art by Mirko Kolak. Here's your solicit. The gold key universe begins here! Classic characters by some of comics' hottest creators, Magnus, Solar, Turok, and Dr. Spectre. Dynamite is proud to present an all-new adventure ongoing from superstar Greg Pak of Batman and Superman and World War Hulk fame and incredible artist Mirko Kolak who drew the Red Skull incarnate, which was amazing, and worked on Conan. He was great there, too. Shunned from his tribe, a young Native American named Turok fights to survive, making a lonely life for himself in the unforgiving forest. But his hard-won cunning and survival skills face the ultimate test when man-eating THUNDER LIZARDS attack his people. Why are dinosaurs here? How have they survived? And will Turok use his abilities to save a society that's taken everything away from him? I have always loved this character just because Turok is just kind of like badass Indian that fights dinosaurs. Go. <laughs> There's a simplicity to it that appeals to me. I really hope they can do a good job with this. I trust Greg Pak. He's really good at stories like this. And Mirko Kolak is a total badass. I'm looking forward to this. You know what? I have never, ever read Turok. I've read very I've little never, of it. I admit, I've I kind of like played the, his games. I like the idea of Turok more than I love Turok comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The gold key, uh, at least this gold key relaunch, is actually looking like it's going to be some fun. We got Fred Van Lanty coming on Magnus. I'm kind of into it. 
So despite the fact that I have no experience with the character, I think it's going to be a good time. Yeah, they got some real heavy creative teams here, so it should be fun. The THN trade of the week is the Lock and Key Volume 6 hardcover, Alpha and Omega, from IDW by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Here's your solicit. The shadows have never been darker and the end has never been closer. Turn the key and open the last door. It's time to say goodbye. Omega and Alpha, the final two storylines of the New York Times bestselling series are collected together to offer a thunderous and compelling conclusion to lock and key. If I have to explain why this is the trade of the week, you have not been listening to this show for very long. It's a wonderful series. This was an amazing conclusion to one of the best new fantasy horror series to come out in years. Our listener Nick Simon has been trying to force it down my throat all week. (laughs) (laughs) Pick it up. If you haven't read the other volumes, start with number one. Don't hesitate. This is not hyperbole. This is not me trying to sell more books. I think you mean hyperbole. Do what you have to. Hyperbole. (laughs) Find Lock and Key Volume 1. Get it. Read this series. You will not regret it. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So, humble yourselves before the universe and the great Buddha, and then let us know over at the THN forums. In the comic book justice system, comics are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The nerds that read them and the critics who judge both the comics and the nerds that read them. This is the story of one nerd defending his tastes. This is The Defenders. Welcome to the second edition of The Defenders, where we drag one listener before the two-headed judge so they may plead their case for their questionable comic book tastes and you rendered a verdict of either f***ing awesome or f***ing terrible. Based on their defense today, the defendant, Roderick Roof, will give his defense of the new warriors. But before the proceedings begin, I'm going to have to ask the Honorable Judge Joe Patrick to recuse himself from these proceedings as the record will show he is a diehard new warriors apologist. I'm going to make Roderick Roof. You don't think I can be objective? Not when it comes to the new warriors, buddy. And I don't think a court in the land would allow you to hear this argument. I'm saying Roderick Roderick Ruth has to sell this to me and me alone. Matthew Joseph, the man that can't be stopped. Roderick Ruth here, at Roderick Ruth on Twitter, to talk about the new warriors with you. Okay, first off, I was never a DC kind of kid in my adolescence, so I never had the chance to get into Perez's Teen Titans. And as much as everyone has heralded that series, uh, The New Warriors by Fabian Niciesa and Mark Bagley was Marvel's response to them. And it was hands down my favorite teen superhero comic book of my heyday. This unofficial Avengers in training B-squad of teenage superheroes was filled with an amazing charm, a palpable attitude, and the unstable emotional drama that you come to expect when you throw a bunch of kids with superpowers into the room and expect them to get along together. As for the roster, we had Night Thrasher, also known as Dwayne Taylor, who was basically a rich kid hell-bent on fighting crime after the death of his parents, uh, equipped with a suit of armor, martial arts skills, high-tech gear, and two metal bars. Night Thrasher had the gadgetry, money, and passion like Batman, but with a knack for inflicting pain like the Punisher. 
Not to mention he had a skateboard on his back all the time, which was pretty rad. Oh, and did I mention that he was an African-American male that led the team and his mask wasn't completely obscured to hide it, a la Black Panther or Spawn. Very progressive for the time, just saying. Next up, we have the one and only Nova, Richard Ryder. By now, most of you are familiar with Richard's uh, exploits in Marvel's Annihilation Saga, or at least heard about it. But in The New Warriors, this is where Richard harnessed his talents, cultivated his abilities, learned about love, long before the Nova Corps or anything else like that came along. Next up, we had Speedball, and no, I'm not talking about Matt's rock star lifestyle. Whoa. Speedball was Robbie Baldwin. You can liken him to sort of a Johnny Storm, Human Torch, Spider-Man-like character. Always quick to launch a smart-ass joke and be a free spirit. Speedball also had the uh, ability to bounce off stuff um, via his kinetic field. I know it sounds stupid, but uh, the ability was used in immensely creative ways throughout the run of the New Warriors. And old Robbie slowly became one of my favorite characters on the team. Who knew that jerk would explode and blow up Stanford, Connecticut and create Marvel's Civil War saga? Yeah. So Firestar was also able to make the squad, and with her red-haired, fire-wielding ability, and juxtapose her with Namorita, the cousin of the infamous Submariner, you have two badass females of the team. These two sort of covered the yin and yang of fire and water, and not to mention stealing the hearts of teenage boys everywhere, including myself. Then we have Marvel Boy, a.k.a. Justice, a.k.a. Vance Astro, who is the telekinetic wonder kid, and as Joe will surely attest, made a lasting impression on the Marvel Universe when he finally lashed out against his abusive father and basically killed him uh, brutally. If that doesn't scream teenage angst, I don't know what will. So that's the original lineup, and of course, this series ended up with an ever-changing roster, including the addition of characters like Rage... Silhouette, Dark Hawk, Cloak and Dagger, and also they were able to pretty much reach almost every corner in the Marvel Universe with Mutants, Fantastic Four, Ninjas, Spider-Man, Punisher. I think they even tried to break into the Avengers Mansion to steal a Quinjet, and uh, that's like the equivalent of taking your parents' car out for a joyride with your friends. Good teenage fun, you know? So with that in mind, I will defend the reboot of The New Warriors by Chris Yost and uh, Marcus Toe. Uh, Chris has been doing a solid job on Superior Spider-Man team-up, uh, team and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with this next generation of heroes. Sure, Justice and Speedball are still there, so that is a bit of a relief. Uh, but let's face it, with Young Avengers, Avengers Academy, and even the new 52 Teen Titans gone, where else can we get this style of story? I implore you guys to defend my honor. Thanks, guys. Before giving my verdict on the New Warriors, I would like to ask our resident New Warriors expert, Joe Patrick, a couple questions about the state of the New Warriors now. So I've been reading Nova, the newest Nova series, and there we have been reintroduced to Vance Astro and Speedball, both of which I feel have been maybe de-aged a little bit. Do you agree or disagree with that? Um, I think that the art makes them look young, but I find that that's true for most of the characters that that artist draws. Okay, I'll give you that. Like even his even his mom looks kind of young to me. No, I'll give you that. Would you say? Uh, but I mean, they were never that old. I mean, consider that they're probably in their early to mid twenties. Okay, so you would say that their character holds. They are still the characters that you remember them being. Well, I'm behind on Nova, but. 
uh, from what I read of Speedball in Avengers Academy and uh, and Vance Astro, for that matter, who was also in that book off and on, and he um, was in Avengers The Initiative that preceded it. They don't seem to be ignoring any parts of their character. Like, I mean, everything's all about like what Speedball did and, and how he's come back from right. Civil War and all that. But, you know, he's still kind of fighting back from that. Vance Astro, I, I believe, on more than one occasion has mentioned uh, the events with his father. So, yeah, I think they've been true to the characters. Okay. Now, the question is, will the new book maintain – like, the old book uh, tackled a lot of social issues, gang violence – you know, drug use, environmentalism, that sort of thing. Child abuse. Uh, things that were hot hot topics in the 90s, right? Child abuse. Uh, will the new book do that or will it just be a generic teen action book? I'm hoping it strikes a, a nice balance. Time will tell. Yeah, I guess that remains to be seen. I'm going to say, based on Roderick Ruth's impassioned argument and my love of Chris Yost and Marcus too, who is also very, very good. You know what? I'm going to rule for the new Warriors. I'm going to deliver a verdict of fucking awesome. I'm excited for the new Warriors book. I'm going to pick it up. I never read the old stuff. I always kind of uh, just thought they were silly. But like Roderick Ruth said, like you just said, they were tackling real problems of the day. They, were, I mean, they looked at things that you wouldn't... They were tackling issues that the Avengers would not normally cover because they were younger people. Congratulations, Roderick Ruth. Excellent. Excellent job. It's a victory for Roderick Ruth and a victory for America. See, Matt Bomb, I told you. I am not crazy. New Warriors was a good book. I didn't think you were crazy. You just have to give it a chance. I didn't think you were crazy. I just thought maybe, you know, you were stuck in the early to mid-90s. That's all. <laughs> oh, jeez. Roderick Ruth, thank you for coming on THN and defending the New Warriors. You've done me proud. If you have a guilty slash questionably bad comic, series, creator, character, storyline, whatever, that you would like to defend in front of the honorable judges at THN, you can post your defense in the defender section of the THN forums, and you might be the next defender called before the bench. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the not in the same room, but back on the internet episode of THN. If you're surprised the show still exists, then you can subscribe or unsubscribe and resubscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, <laughs> where we desperately need iTunes star ratings and reviews because we lost them all. And we always appreciate a Stitcher thumbs up because it does help us to connect and possibly reconnect with other potential and ex-listeners. <laughs> yes. A serious note about the feed. We are back in iTunes. Everything's working smoothly, but your old feeds are now broken, essentially. So to resubscribe in iTunes, you need to unsubscribe from the old show, find our new page in the iTunes store, and resubscribe. Then you will be back up and running and you will catch up on all the THN that you missed. And again, we can't stress enough how much we would appreciate it if you would give us those ratings and reviews because like Matt said, everything that we had built up has been flushed down the toilet. It's all gone. Even the really negative reviews that I wrote about us. 
Yeah, that's right. Thanks to our most recent donor, Michael Richard, and to our sustaining members who are, of course, the coolest. And if you'd like to help keep us in billable hours for our one-man IT Omega Force, Max Riffner, you can make your donation in any amount using our newly rediscovered PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our direct ziggurat phone number, 402-819-4894. Using this myriad of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd questions. You can ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic book, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to sign up with THN Forums, guys. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can make fun of how terrible our chemistry is when we're not in the same room, or just rap about comics. I miss you, buddy. Yeah, I can tell. (laughs) Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribe to this show using our newly reestablished feed on iTunes, (laughs) you don't need to do anything. It will just magically show up in your feed every Wednesday. Now, point of order, the question of the week did not go up yesterday. I'm sorry. Did not go up on Friday. I'm sorry. Lord. Listen, I had to post some that stuff about the feed. There was some other business to attend to. All right. So by the time you hear this, the question of the week will be there. Head to the forums, check it out, and hit us with your opinions. Next week, I am out of town, but my man Willie Toots will be here playing Ask a Nerd with my boyfriend, Joe Patrick. So, wait, you're going to be out of town for our landmark 150th episode? It's true. I'm out of town. (laughs) What? So, hit us with your questions or trivia challenges over at the THN forums. And if you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the latest installments of Cousin Chris's Comics on the Rocks, Ludicrous Speed Reviews, Saturday Morning Cartoons, and a special review of the first episode of Black Sails by our very own Credible Hulk, Tony Mathers. Our weekly shout-out this week goes to Camarillo Brillo, who completed his first comic book script. Now the man just needs someone to bring his mad scrawling to life. You can't have Joe Patrick because I need him to finish ours and I can't even get the first panel from him. If you're an artist interested in getting some comic experience under your belt, hit him up on Twitter at CBCamarillo. That's C-B-C-A-M-A-R-I-L-L-O. Word to you, Cam. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you in the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.